Well, turning your Bibles to Luke 22, we continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. We're seeing Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the sacrifice, and the substitute for the sins of mankind. He indeed is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this morning, we're continuing seeing this final week of Jesus' life right before he goes to the cross. It is near the time of Passover. Jesus plans to eat this special meal with his disciples. Now, as we think about our Savior, we realize that he is the Passover Lamb. He is the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He so that he can deliver us from the bondage of sin. This morning, we're going to get some background on the holiday, that, or the holy day is another way to say it, that's called Passover. We want to see Judas as he betrays or plans to betray Jesus, and then we want to see as they prepared for the Passover meal. Our goal, of course, as we study God's Word, is to understand these things, to understand about the Passover, the feast, its meaning, and to realize that Jesus Christ is indeed our Passover lamb. So as we study this, may we gain from God's Word. You know, the, the chapter 22 is long. It's, it's 71 verses, and chapter 23 has over 50 verses. So this next section, there's a lot there. In fact, chapters 22, 23, and 24, if you look at it, you say, well, there's only three chapters left in the Gospel of Luke. They're long. There's a lot in there. We're going to look at some details because this is where we see Jesus going to the cross. We're going to look at what he said on the cross. We're going to see the, the six trials, the, the three before the Jews, the three before the Romans. We're going to see how all this fit together, even beginning this morning as we think about Passover. So there's a lot in our study, and we'll be seeing this in the next weeks to come. Well, before I went to seminary, I had a good friend who was a Jewish person. And we often talked a lot of times about Jesus and being Jewish and the difference between what he believed and what I believed. And we'd talk about the Bible, but the truth is that he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he said he didn't even believe there was ever going to be a Messiah. He owned a jewelry store in town that I used to live in, and he would sell crosses and Christian jewelry. And I used to kid him. I'd go to him and say, if you don't believe Jesus is the Savior, why do you sell those crosses? And he would say, because you Christians will buy them. And I'd go, oh, okay. And then he'd say, you know, he used to tell me that being Jewish was better than being a Christian. And I would say, why? And he'd say, because we have more holidays. And they did. In fact, when you look in the Word of God, if you go to Leviticus 23, you find that God gave seven special holy days or holidays to the Jewish people to celebrate every year. And as we continue this morning our study of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see one of the most famous of all the Jewish holy days, and that is the holiday or the time called Passover. The Jews celebrated this to remember how God had delivered the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Jesus ate the final, his final Passover meal with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. He goes, he eats the meal, he goes to the garden, he's arrested the trials, and then the crucifixion. In the next few weeks... We're going to see this Passover. We're going to see the Passover meal. What happened to Jesus? In fact, this morning, it's just a little background. Next week, beginning at verse 14, we actually see Jesus going through the Passover meal, taking the Passover meal, and changing it to what we call the Lord's Supper. And we'll see how that ties together. Jesus Christ dies on Passover as our Passover lamb to deliver us from the bondage of sin. So maybe it'll be a lot of fun and exciting as we go through this passage. Now we're in the, just as we get going, we're in the last week of Christ's life. He's been in the temple teaching. People have been coming to him. They're religious leaders. They hate him. There's been confrontations. It's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And as we're going to see in these next few chapters, some incredible things. Let me break down the passage for you this morning. Not a very long passage. We're going to look at the first 13 verses. First of all, Judas plans to betray Jesus. 
That's going to be the first part. Let's see, it's nearing Passover. The religious leaders want Jesus dead. That's what they want. And so Judas and the religious leaders come up with this plan. The second part of the passage is verses 7 through 13, where they're preparing for the Passover. It's time. So Jesus gives some instructions to a couple of men. It's really, it's uh, Peter and John. And then they go, and the upper room is now made ready. And we'll see that as we go through it. Well, let's begin. Look at chapter 22. Look at verse 1. We'll see how it starts together. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. Now it says the feast of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, approaching. Well, what is unleavened bread? What is Passover? In fact, I thought... They were a little bit different. We'll see how this fits together. We need to get a basic understanding of Jewish feasts. Now, by the way, there are actually three feasts that go together at what sometimes is called unleavened bread. Sometimes it's called Passover. They just say that. Sometimes they'll say it's Passover time, and that could mean two to three different things. Sometimes they'll say it's unleavened bread, and that could mean two or three different things. Now, I want you to think about this. God gave to the Jewish people... Some feast days, sometimes we'd say the holy days. We sometimes call it holidays, but really it's special days that were set apart. They were to celebrate and remember things, remember the past, but they also looked forward to some of the things of the future. So he gave them special days. Now, in Leviticus chapter 23, I'm just going to put that up. In Leviticus chapter 23, don't turn there, there is a listing of the holy days, days set apart for the Jewish people. I want to give you a, a real quick overview on how these fit together. Because if you just started saying unleavened bread and Passover without a little background, you might say, well, what exactly is all that? Well, first of all, when God dealt with the Jewish people, he gave them a weekly feast. The weekly feast was called the Sabbath. And if you remember that, they were to work six days and rest on the seventh day. The seventh day was called Sabbath because the word Sabbath, Sabbath, means rest. They worked Sunday through Friday. Saturday is the Sabbath. It was so that they would remember how God created. It says in six days God created the heavens and the earth and rested on the seventh. It was a pattern for them. They were to work and then rest. And so every week they had a special day. They rested. There was another thing. He gave what they call a monthly feast. It was called the New Moon Feast. It was either one or two days long. It happened, of course, at the start of the month. And it was to remind them again that how God had protected them and that they would rest and trust in God. Then as you continue, there were seven yearly feast. I'm going to put all seven up there for you right this second. Don't try to write all this down. We'll go through it some other time in some other way. But there were seven yearly feasts. Of course, Passover. And let me tell you, the Passover is on the 14th day of the first month. The first month in the Jewish calendar corresponds to our March and April. Sometimes it's in March. Sometimes it's in April because their calendar is different. There was a feast called Passover. It was on the 14th day of the first month. First month was called Nisan. And it reminded them of how they were delivered from the bondage in Egypt. The second feast is called Unleavened Bread. It starts on the 15th day, the next day after Passover, and goes for the 21st. It goes seven days and is unleavened. And unleavened means without leaven. And leaven was a picture of sin, and so it meant the idea of sinlessness. That was what it was supposed to be, a picture of no sin. Then there's a feast called the Feast of First Proofs, which was on Sunday of that week. And that 15th through the 21st, whatever day Sunday came on, that was called the Feast of First Fruits. And it was a picture of resurrection. They would go out and they would pick the first of the fruit, but it was a picture of resurrection. Then 50 days after first fruits was a feast called Pentecost, because Pentecost has the idea of 50, and it had to do with the harvest. And then a little bit further down on the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, was a feast called Trumpets. That was actually New Year's Day for Jewish people. That was the beginning of their year, but it was the first day of the seventh month. It was called Trumpets, and it was a picture of the regathering of the nation. On the tenth day of the seventh month, 
Joseph was a feast called atonement. It was Yom Kippur. Yom means day. Kippur means covering. The day of atonement is the day of covering. Now, out of all these feast days, all of them are happy except this one. This was the day that it said you were to afflict your souls. This is the day they thought about their sin. This is the day the sin of the nation of Israel was covered. So that's why it's called the day of covering, the day of atonement. The last feast was found on the 15th day of the seventh month. It was called Tabernacles. It lasted for seven, sometimes eight days, in which they lived out in little booths. It reminded them of when they were in the wilderness, but it looked forward to the coming kingdom. So those were the seven yearly feasts. Now, there were other feasts as well. There were all, all kinds of different things, feasts like Hanukkah, which basically was called the Feast of Lights. You, you really won't find it in the Scripture. You'll find it where Jesus, it talks about in the, in the winter festival, the Feast of Hanukkah. It's not listed in the Scripture, but it was when uh, in, in the year 170, uh, uh, 147 B.C. when, uh, excuse me, 174 B.C. when Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who was an evil man, tried to kill the Jews, tried to destroy them, and with Judas Maccabeus and the Maccabees, they were able to defeat them, and they had a special feast, and the candle burned for eight days, and so it was an amazing thing, and it's called Hanukkah, Feast of Lights. There's also another feast, which is called Purim, which is connected with the book of Esther, and then there are some wedding feasts, and they're all kind of different special times. So my friend was right. They have a lot of holidays and special days. But when you think about this passage and when you think about Jesus going to the cross, there are three, three feasts that all come together, three at the same time, and they are Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. They all come together. Passover is the sacrificial lamb. Unleavened bread had the picture of no sin, and first fruits was resurrection or new life. Those all three happened at the same time. When Jesus died on the cross, he died on the 14th day of the first month, Passover. 15th through 21st was unleavened bread. He rose from the grave on first fruits, which was during that week. So let me, let me just show you something. Let's think about Passover. Passover for just a second. Passover was when the Jewish people remember how God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. They were in Egypt, if you remember, and God raised up Moses and all the plagues. The final plague was the death of the firstborn. God told the Jewish people to get them a lamb. And on the 14th day of the month, they killed the lamb. They ate the lamb. They took the blood, put it on the door. Because God said he's going through Egypt in the night. When he saw the blood on the door, he would pass over that house. Any house that didn't have blood, he would kill the firstborn. That's what happened in Egypt. All the firstborn were killed except for the Jews because they had the Passover blood on the door and they came out and every time, every year when they celebrated Passover, they remembered how they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. Well, I want you to realize that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb because he died in our place. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died to deliver us from the bondage of sin. The other feast, the next feast was unleavened bread. And remember, unleavened bread had the idea of no sin, sinlessness, that idea that, that uh, they would start that feast and they would remove all leaven from their houses. Sinlessness, it's a picture of that. We'll think about Jesus. He is the lamb without spot or blemish. He is the sinless perfect son of God who died in our place. And then last but not least, the other feast is first fruits. It was a picture of resurrection, the first fruit from the ground. They would go outside and they'd say, here's the first tomato. Here's the first this. It was the first fruits from the ground. It was a picture of new life and resurrection. Think about Jesus Christ. He rose again. He died on Passover and rose on first fruits. He is the first fruit from the dead, the first one to come back from the dead, never to die again. Now, I want you to think about something. 
Jesus Christ died on Passover. He died on the 14th day of the first month of Nisan. He died on Passover as our Passover lamb. He lived a sinless life as the unleavened bread. And he rose from the grave on the Feast of Firstfruits Sunday on the first day of the week. That's when he rose from the grave. And so he fits it perfectly. He is our Passover sinless lamb who died and rose again. That's who he is. It's so powerful. Now, let's think about what's going on. Now, that little background on the feast. Remember, the religious leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus. They, they, their original plan was to not kill Jesus during the Passover because they didn't want the people all upset. They thought they would wait, they would get him somehow and kill him. That's their plan. But let's think about what's going on. Can you picture this? And a lot of times when I study the Bible, I think that I'm there. I put myself there. I say, what if I was one of the apostles or one of the disciples? What if I was with Jesus and we were on the boat or we were doing this or this? So put yourself there and say, what if you were there at Passover? Jesus' final Passover. What would it be like? Well, remember, Jerusalem was, uh, was the capital. The temple was there. It was the big city. But at Passover, people were coming from all over. The city of Jerusalem was filled with people because they've come all over to celebrate Passover. Deuteronomy 16.16 16 requires every Jewish male three times a year had to come to Jerusalem, had to come to the temple. They had to come at Passover. They had to come at uh, uh, the, the Feast of Trumpets, and they had to come at Pentecost. They had to come for those three feasts. So the city is just full of people. In fact, some scholars say that there may have been as many as 180,000 people in the city. Some even say there may have been as many as 3 million people in Jerusalem. And they're just packed in there because they're coming from all over. And if you had relatives, you'd come in, you'd find your relatives. And I mean, they're just people everywhere. So picture what it's like. All of these people coming from all over. Luke 21, verse 38 says the people would get up. Remember, early in the morning, they would go out to listen to Jesus teach in the temple area. This is what happens. A lot of people, look at verse 2. The chief priest and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death. For they were afraid of the people. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, of course, were the religious leaders. They wanted to kill Jesus. They were afraid of the people. See, they, they did not want Jesus to be popular. Everybody's following Jesus. They're not necessarily believing him as the Savior, but they're following him. And the religious leaders said, if all these people follow Jesus, there's going to be an uproar. We're going to lose our positions. We don't want to lose our positions, so we need to kill him and get rid of him. That's one of the reasons they wanted to kill Jesus. In fact, the way it's written in the passage here, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking. It means on. Ongoing. They were trying to figure out ways they could put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Now, tensions are high. The Romans, they have their foot on everybody. They're ruling the world. And the Jewish people don't want to be ruled by the Romans. Jewish people are always trying to be in rebellion. Romans are always having to put them down. Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, he doesn't like the Jewish people, and yet he tries to keep them happy. There's another ruler called Herod, who was a son of Herod the Great, and, and he hates the Jewish people. He sometimes tried to tell people he was Jewish, but he wasn't. And he tries to keep, they tried to keep the Jewish people in line. At the time of the Passover, all these people are in Jerusalem. So both Pontius Pilate is in Jerusalem and Herod, who normally lived in Galilee, is in Jerusalem as well. They're all there for the feast. So picture this. They're all there. And the background is these religious leaders want to kill Jesus. Now, notice this. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. I want you to understand at this time the high priest was a man by the name of Caiaphas. 
He is the son-in-law of a man by the name of Annas who had been the high priest. If you were thinking, you'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know the Bible. The Bible said this. Aaron was the first high priest, and when Aaron died, his oldest son became the high priest. And when he died, his oldest son became the high priest. And when he died, his oldest son became the high priest. So that's what it's supposed to be. But by the time you get to Jesus, it wasn't that way. It became a political position. Rome sometimes appointed the high priest. The high priest had been a man by the name of Annas. He only ruled for about 12 years. He was, was not a good man. He was a high priest. And now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, is the high priest. And so when it says that the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, they were afraid of the people. Now, in John chapter 11, Caiaphas is the man that when he were meeting with his religious leaders, he said the following, It is expedient that this one man, Jesus, die for the nation. And what he meant was this. Since Jesus was causing such an uproar, they were all afraid the Romans were going to come in and take away their positions. He said it would be better that Jesus die than the Romans come in and kill a whole bunch of Jews. So he's saying it. I think it's the best thing to do is let's kill Jesus so the Jews won't be killed. He's really lying because he just didn't want to lose his position. But he's the man who said that. Now, I want you to see something special. Hold your place in Luke 22 and turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Just a couple of pages back toward the front of your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. I want you to see two things that happen real quickly. Matthew 26, we'll start about verse 3. So turn over there quickly and uh, you can see what happens. Here's sort of a little review. Matthew 26, look at verse 3. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. There he is. They plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. This is their plan. We've got to figure out a way to get him, grab him, and kill him. But they were saying, notice this, not during the festival. The festival is Passover. Not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. If we get him during the festival, people may get upset. So their plan was not to get Jesus at Passover. Now, guess what? Jesus is going to die on Passover because Jesus is in control. They're not in control. Jesus is in control. He's the Passover lamb. He's going to die on Passover whether they wanted him to die on Passover or not. He's going to. Now, look at this next thing. Look at verse 6, still in Matthew. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Do you remember that story? When Jesus was at the home of a man named Simon the leper, and this woman came in, and she had this alabaster jar or box, and, and it was very expensive. About, about a whole year's salary would be what that thing was worth. And she broke it, and this sweet perfume stuff came out, and she poured it on his head. She also poured it on his feet. But what she did, that perfume was so amazing. A lot of times in burials, they use that. And so she poured it on Jesus. And some of the disciples got upset, especially Judas, because he had the money. And he thought, that would have been better. We could have got that money for that. But listen to what Jesus says, verse 12. For when she, this is Jesus talking about this event. He says, for when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. You realize it's only a day or two away before Jesus is going to die. And he's saying she knows what's happening. He's saying this is a foreshadow. She's preparing me for my death. And then he goes on to say, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Go back to Luke 22. So 
what's happened is there's Jesus. They're there for the Passover. Jesus has been anointed. And if they're watching, they're saying, what you're telling us, Jesus, you're about to die. And he said, I've been telling you that for weeks. But they hadn't grasped it. Five times in the Gospel of Matthew, he said he was going to Jerusalem, be killed, and rise again. Five times. They never got it. Look at verse 3. And Satan entered into Judas, who was also called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. Now, it's a really strange way to say Satan entered into Judas. And we're not sure what it is. And, of course, we know who Satan is. He's the devil. Judas is one of the disciples. The best we know that he was he was an apostle and disciple, but he was never a believer. It's clear from the Scripture that he never believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. He is called the son of perdition. When it says Satan entered to him, the best we can tell that means he began to influence him. Satan began to influence Judas. There's two times this happens. One right here, and later on in the in when they're having the Last Supper, when we call the, the Passover meal, in the middle of the meal, Satan enters into Judas again and gets up and leaves. He gets up and leaves, and that's when he goes to betray Christ. So it says, Satan entered a Judas who is called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. Now, you understand that Judas is one of the twelve. And sometimes when people look at religious people, they say, well, they're religious, they go to church, that must mean they're a Christian. No, it does not mean that necessarily. Just because a person is religious does not mean they have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. There are people in this town that go to church every Sunday and they are not Christians. They think by going to church or getting baptized or giving money or going to Sunday school or doing some good things that somehow that's going to get them right with God. Religion is not a relationship with Christ. Religion is man trying to do something to get to God. True Christianity is God loving the world that he gave his son. So be careful. There are a lot of religious people who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. What did Judas do? Look at verse 4. And he went away and discussed with the chief priest and officers how he might betray him to them. He leaves, sneaks off, goes to the high priest and discusses how he might betray Jesus. He wanted to look for a way that he could turn over Jesus to them. Judas knew all the places Jesus would go. He knew the places they went at night. He knew when they'd be away from the crowd. Why would he do this? He's been with Jesus for three, three and a half years. He's seen the miracles. He's seen all of this. Why would Judas betray Jesus? Some think this, that Judas thought that Jesus was going to be the king because that's what Jesus is. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They thought he's going to be the king. He figured, okay, listen, I'm on Jesus' side. I'm going to be I'm going to one of his right-hand men. When Jesus comes as the king, he's going to whip all the Romans. He's going to take over, and I'm going to have a great position. But he began to notice that Jesus wasn't talking about whipping the Romans. And he wasn't talking about taking over right then. He was even saying things like he's going to go die. And Judas said, I don't think that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the guy who's going to die. I'm looking for the guy who's going to rule. And so I'm going to switch sides. And that's what he did. He switched sides. He went away and discussed with the chief priest and officers how he might betray him to them. How did they respond? Look at verse 5. They were glad and agreed to give him money. See, how did they respond? They said, this is fantastic. One of Jesus' own men. So we've been trying to figure out a way that we could get him. We've been trying to figure out a way how we could sneak up and grab him. And we got one of his own men coming to us who will tell us how to get him. This, this couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. They were glad. And they agreed to give him money. Literally, the word is silver. They gave him silver. Matthew 26, 15, they gave him 30 pieces of silver, which was the normal price of a slave. He sold out Jesus. 
Matthew actually tells us that Judas asked for the money. The deal was made. What would Judas do? Look at verse 6. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. He consented to this. He said, I'll do it for 30 pieces of silver. I'll figure out a way. I'll get him. I'll get where you can get him. It won't be during the day. It won't be with the big crowd. We'll work this out. Looking for the opportunity. You realize from this point on that every time you say the name Judas, what do you think of? A traitor? You say Judas, and you think of the one who betrayed Jesus, the one who turned him over, the betrayer. His actions became his legacy. You realize your actions are going to determine your legacy? How you live? People are going to remember how you lived, what you said, what you did? Well, we see Judas is ready to turn Jesus over when he gets the opportunity. Meanwhile, let's go back and see what Jesus is doing. He's getting ready for the feast. Notice verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, you already know that Passover is on the 14th day of the first month and unleavened bread is on the 15th of the 21st. But oftentimes they just put it together. They'd say, it's now time for Passover or now it's now time for unleavened bread. They just put it all together. And so when the author writes this, he said, it came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. They just put it together. 14th day of the first month is the lamb will be sacrificed. And then 15th through 21st is unleavened bread. It's now time for that. Now, do you realize that every year on the 14th day of the month of Nisan on the Jewish calendar, up to this very day, on the 14th day of the first month, all Jewish people all over the world celebrate Passover. At that time, families would come together, especially right here. They would all come together, and they would remember how God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, and it would be a great time of joy, and they would get the lamb and sacrifice it. And if one family was small and the lamb was big, they would get with another family, and they would all come together, and they would, they would celebrate this day. Do you realize this has been celebrated for, continuously for 3,500 years? Jewish people never forget the bondage in Egypt. I can remember it's been a number of years ago when Jimmy Carter was the president and he helped sign the peace between Egypt and Israel. Anwar Sadat was the prime minister of Egypt and Nakhon Begun was the prime minister of Israel and they worked very hard to come up with this peace pact and there was Jimmy Carter sitting right here and there was Anwar Sadat sitting right here and there was Menachem Begin sitting right here and they were facing this way and they were all fixing to sign the peace and Anwar Sadat said... We worked very hard to put this together. And Menachem Begin said, But not as hard as my people worked when they were slaves in Egypt. They never forget it. That's what Passover was for. Never forget it. Well, let's see what happened. When, the first, when it came that said, Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, you need to understand something, that the Jewish days are different than our days. And I've got this right here for you, that at 6 o'clock in the evening, basically in the evening, to begin the new day, the night came first. Now, let me explain something to you. Today, if this was a Jewish calendar, if we're using the Jewish calendar, tonight around 6 o'clock or dark, whatever, how they want to do it, it actually becomes Monday night because the night comes first. It's Monday night, then tomorrow is Monday day. 
That's the way the Jewish calendar works. They got it from God because he said the evening and the morning were the first day. This is in Genesis. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So the evening comes first. So in a Jewish day, if today was the 13th day of the month, at the evening tonight, it would become the 14th. And it would be the evening of the 14th. And tomorrow would be the day of the 14th. That's how Jesus could eat the Passover meal at night on the 14th and die the next day during the day, on the 14th day, because the night comes first. So he ate the Passover meal on the 14th in the evening and died on the cross the next day on the 14th day of the first month. He died on Passover. So I just want you to see that. Here's what Jesus does. He, he decides he's going to send, he's going to get everything ready. So look at verse 8. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And he picked two people. Notice that he picked Peter who's sort of the leader and John who's the youngest. You ever thought about that? And that G, Peter was sort of the leader because he's always the spokesman. He always said, he always said something. He, sometimes he said the wrong thing, but he always said something. He was always the one to speak. He was sort of the leader of the disciples. John was the youngest one of all. He lived the longest. He, he's the one that wrote the book of Revelation. He was Jesus' closest friend. You understand that? He calls himself, in the Gospel of John, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Out of all of the men, there were twelve. And out of the twelve, there were three, Peter, James, and John. And of the three, there was one, John. So Jesus picked Peter, the leader, and John, the youngest and his friend, and he picked them to go prepare everything for the Passover. They were his trusted men. Go prepare the Passover. Notice what he says. And he said to them, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Now, they had to go get the lamb. They had to go get the lamb sacrificed. They had to go cook the lamb. They had to get the place set up. They had to get the food. They had to get the wine. They had to get the bread. They had to get everything. So he's, it's a big deal to go set the Passover up. So he says, Peter and John, go set it up. Go prepare it. Now, they've got a great question. Because what they say is this. Verse 9. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? Because you realize that Jesus Christ had no place. He said, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There wasn't any home. Jesus didn't have a home to go to to set up Passover. So they're actually saying, where, where are we going to have Passover? Where are we going to have this? We've got to have a house. We've got to have a room. In fact, we've got to have a bigger room because there's at least there's 13 of us. You've got the 12 guys and Jesus. We've got to have a place for 13 men. And so they said, where do you want us to prepare it? Notice his instructions. In fact, he sends them out with instructions, but he doesn't tell them where to go. He doesn't say, 325 South Maple, go. He didn't do that. In fact, he just tell them, go into the town, you'll see the following things. Wonder why he didn't tell them. You know why? Because he doesn't want Judas to know where it's going to be until it's time to go there. Because he wants to eat the Passover meal before the betrayal. See, because Judas, if he knew exactly where it was, he could have had the people arrest Jesus for the Passover. But he didn't, because Judas didn't know where they were going until they got there. The only people that knew were Peter and John. Watch what happens. Jesus gives them instructions. He said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. Now he's, he already knows. He's the sovereign God. He's in control. He's working all these events out. He says, When you get into the city, you'll meet this man carrying a pitcher of water. You just follow him to the house. You see him and you follow him to the house. When you go into the house, go into the house and say, This must be the house. Now, we got a couple of questions like, Okay, there's how many people in Jerusalem? Maybe three million? 
We're going to go into the city and we're going to see a guy carrying a pitcher of water. Well, how many guys do you think are carrying pitchers of water? We may get there and there may be 50 guys. And we go, which one of these guys do we follow? Well, the truth is this. If you know the culture, guys didn't carry water. Men didn't carry the pitchers of water. The women carried the water. So a man carrying a pitcher of water would stand out. It would be very unusual. He says, when you get in the city, you're going to meet a man coming to you carrying a pitcher of water. And they'd go, a man carrying a pitcher of water? I guess we can find that. That's pretty unusual. Wherever that guy goes, you follow him. Follow him into the house that he enters. And notice what happens. And then you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? You get to the house, and then you talk to the owner of the house. The owner of the house is called the master of the house. And then you say to him, the teacher says. Now, notice the emphasis. The teacher Because what has Jesus been doing in the final week of his life in the temple? Teaching. The emphasis at this time is that he is the teacher. He's about to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But notice what it says. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. They're going to follow that guy. Now, have you ever thought about this? The place, the city is completely full of people. How many open rooms do you think there are? I mean, every house. I mean, there are people they got there have Passover in this room, and there may be people and relatives and saying, we, can we eat Passover in this room? And we've got to have a place to do it. What are the chances? Can you see James? I mean, can you see uh, Peter and John saying, what are the chances of us finding a room? We've waited a long time. I mean, this is the last day. Usually people have already got rooms ahead of time. Jesus said, just go on into the town. And so they did. And what did they do? They saw the guy with the water. And they followed him. They went in. They saw a guy. And they said, where's the room? And the guy said, right up there. It's right up there. It's the upper room. Just go right up there. And they went up to the upper room. It says, he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And sure enough, they got there. And this place was large enough that on the second floor, there was a room that would be big enough to hold these men. And look what it says, verse 13. And they left and found everything just as he had told them and they prepared to pass over let me ask you something are you surprised that they found it just like jesus said has he ever said anything that didn't come true perfectly he's god he knows everything if he said there's going to be a man carrying water i guarantee you there's a man carrying water if he said you're going to find a place that's got an upper room prepare it i guarantee you there's the place of the upper room and you know what he said to you he said i give to you eternal life and you'll never perish if you have trusted in jesus christ as savior i guarantee you he has given you eternal life and you will never perish he never goes back on his word and everything he says is always exactly right they prepared the passover Jesus will now eat the final Passover meal with his men because he is the Passover lamb. Next time, we're going to see what is called the Passover meal, but we often call it the Lord's Supper because we're going to see Jesus change it. They always think of Passover and the lamb and Egypt, and he's going to change it. And from that point on, they're not going to think of the lamb and Egypt. They're going to think of the lamb of God, 
Jesus Christ. We'll see that next time. What have we seen? It's time for the Passover. Religious leaders want to kill Jesus. Judas makes a deal with the religious leaders to, to betray him. Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare for Passover, and they fulfill all. Everything's just exactly right. They fulfill the instructions. Everything is ready. Do you know what they'd have to do? I mean, they had to go, and they had to go get the lamb. They had to take the lamb to the temple. They had to get it in line. They had to get the, it had to be sacrificed just right. After they got it sacrificed, they had to go roast the lamb. They had to go get the unleavened bread. They had to go get the herbs. They had to get the room set up. They had to set everything up because here's Jesus. He's got to be in a certain place and then you got the people all around him everything had to be prepared and it is now ready next time we see passover applications first of all understand the feast of israel gain an understanding of the feast god has set apart certain days in remembrance for the nation of israel to give them an understanding and we need to gain an understanding of the feast a understand the meaning of passover and when i talk about passover there are these three feasts that go together unleavened first fruits and and uh the, the uh, passover itself when you think of passover the bloodshed delivered from egypt when you think of unleavened bread you think of sinlessness and removing sin and when you think of first fruits you think of new life from the ground well just think about that understand that and b realize this uh, that jesus is the perfect passover lamb a or he is the Passover. He is the Lamb of God who sacrificed to take away sin and deliver us from the bondage of sin. Do you think of unleavened bread? He is the sinless Lamb of God. And you think of first fruits. He is the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. So when you gain an understanding of the Feast of Israel, especially Passover and the three feasts that go together, you realize that it's a picture of Jesus. He died on Passover. He's the sinless Lamb of God, and he rose on first fruits. The key is to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. If any of you in this room, and I know most of you, but if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, I hope and pray that right now where you're sitting, you can believe, you'll believe in Him. You'll trust in Him. You'll understand that He died on the cross, that He paid for sin and rose again, and you'll trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life. That's the only way of salvation. He indeed is the Savior. Number two, trust God in the events of life. I mean, you realize that, A, he is sovereignly working all events. Just like he said, go into town, you'll see the guy doing this. That's exactly what happened. He works all things because he's in control. And we have to realize that we have to trust him because we're in a spiritual battle. Satan entered Judas. We're in a spiritual battle. The enemy is not people. The enemies are powers and principalities and heavenly places. We live in a fallen world. We are in a spiritual battle, and we're going to have to trust God daily as we go through our lives. The third thing is just amazing. Expect persecution from this fallen world. They hated Jesus. They're going to hate us. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Do you think if you can, you, you can stand for Jesus Christ and it won't anything happen to you? If you stand for Jesus Christ right now, there will be persecution. It may be slight. It may be people making fun of you. It may be all kind of things. But when you stand for Jesus Christ, you're going contrary to a fallen world. B, do not be surprised when you're betrayed. Listen, if the greatest man who ever lived, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was betrayed by one of his closest, why would we be surprised if someone of our friends or someone who's close to us betrays us? We act like, uh, can you believe they would do that? Yes. We're all capable of everything. We're capable of anything. Just put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. We'll do the wrong thing. Do not be surprised when you're betrayed. If they betray Jesus, they can betray us. May we trust our sovereign God in all the events of our lives, knowing that he's working all things. And thank God for our Passover lamb, 
Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, may we understand the whole feast of Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits and how Jesus was the Passover lamb, how he died on Passover, how he was the sinless, spotless one, and how he rose from the grave on the first day of the week, which was first fruits. Thank you, Lord. He fits it perfectly. Lord, may we trust in him for eternal life. And then, Lord, as we think about life and going through our lives as Christians, that we would trust in you and know that you're working all things, that it's a spiritual battle, that you're in control and we rest in you. And Lord, we could expect that in a fallen world that if they hated you, they're going to hate us and that we should never be surprised when things, when people turn against us because we live for you and that's what happens sometimes. Lord, may we stand for you and live for you and make an impact for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.